Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. I'm excited to announce our upcoming schedule of Planet Microcap Showcases, our investor conferences that, well, showcase the microcap community. We will be hosting the Planet Microcap Showcase virtual on December 6th to 8th, 2022, and we'll be back in Las Vegas for our in-person event on April 25 through 27, 2023. Attendance for both events are complimentary for investors, and you can expect to interact with microcap management teams, insightful keynotes and panels, plus network with your fellow microcap crew. Registration is now open for our virtual event, so be sure to join us and visit www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. Now for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with at the Gladiator HC himself, formerly anonymous fin tweeter, Fadi Diab. I always enjoy chatting with Fadi and we haven't done a pod in a while. So I was keen to get him on for an update and he did not disappoint. We talked about topics I did not expect to cover. And in true contrarian form, we went deep on two extremely unloved sectors right now, psychedelics and mining, plus a whole bunch more. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 239 of the Planet Microcap podcast. And please enjoy my conversation with the Gladiator HC himself, Fadi Diab. This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Welcome back, everyone, to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me today, he, he's... 
he, he's not an anonymous anymore. I, I, I actually, I got him on video and uh, it's, I'm, I'm so stoked. And uh, so joining me right now, I got Fadi Dia at the Gladiator HC, also the editor-in-chief of the Spec Investor. Fadi, you, you're here, dude. Editor-in-chief. I've, not, I've never been called that before, but I like it. You like that, right? That was good. <laughs> well, you revealed my identity. It's not like it was ever a secret, but you know, for some reason, I just uh, was always anonymous online, but happy to share my face. Nothing special, as you can see, but uh, yeah, it's good, it's good to be here. Well, it's always nice to put a face to the name, right? In our in these now post-COVID times and times of, you know, anonymous Twitter, FinTwit, uh, FUDs, whatever people say about that, you know, it's always nice. So uh, I, I appreciate it. I agree. My pleasure. Cool. Are you? All right. Uh, you know, we're chilling over here. Uh, you know, it's kind of the summer's about to be, well, it's not t- about to be over, but you know how it is. It's like once the end of August, at least in the States, for you guys, it's about to be summer, but he's on Australia for everyone that doesn't have Still to winter here. We've got a couple more weeks of winter, but then, yeah, moving to spring. Oh, very good. Yeah. So it's it's that weird in-between time, right? You know, where it's like things are about to kind of go nuts. And at the same time, everyone is also trying to get their last few days of vacation. So, you know, it's a it's a... It's a time for repeat guests, dude. That's that's what it is. I'm playing. Yeah, I'm back. It's been a while. I know. It's been uh was it pre-COVID. When was the last time we caught up? No. Last um, you know what? The last time we chatted, you did the keynote for our uh, Australia event that we did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, was pretty good. That was fun. So here, let, let's start us off here. You know, the first interview that we did together, what introduced us was uh you wrote that article about, you know, how you lost a million. So yeah. uh in these markets, I, I can only hope. You didn't lose another million, right? Like we're good. Thankfully, I learned my lesson. Uh, you know, I remembered my strategy to, uh, you know, focus more on risk rather than just, you know, how much money I can make. So, you know, the, the strategy is working a lot better now than it did in what 2018, which is great. Um, you know, the gains were always there. Um, you know, finding the high potential stocks, but um, I didn't really focus too much on risk management back then, which you know, I've, I've amended in my strategy. And thankfully, you know, um, doing really good. Uh, you probably follow my. Um, 50k challenge i'm not sure right where we're, i think we had about 120 or 130 last time we spoke um we got as high as 550 and now we're sitting at about 440 or 450 so you know not too if you compare it to the SP or the dow you know r- roughly down about the same or even a bit less and so for a, for a micro cap portfolio i'm really happy with the way it's kind of held up um during these times absolutely well let's talk about that you know like i said i guess it's been a well, it's been since 2020 when we did when you did that virtual. But yeah. you know, instead of going all the way back there, because 2020 obviously everyone did great um, for the most part. But yeah. this year it's just been a bloodbath. I mean, how's it been? You you focus specifically on Australian microcasts. You know, how's it been down under? What's going on? Yeah, well, I was actually thinking about it um, a few days ago. So I launched in 2019, and so in that time we've had you know two recessions, or you know, d- depending if you're the Fed or not, maybe 1.5. You know, you can call it what you like. Um, we've had a global pandemic, so there's been. I know that we've had a lot of good times, but we've also had a lot of bad times, especially the last kind of six months. And anyone who kind of has invested in the last few years has got about ten years probably worth of experience in in, in the course of a couple of years, which is great. Um, and so for me, you know, I started off with you know investing fifty thousand dollars of real money, uh, my own money into the markets in kind of a, a public portfolio. Uh, got down to as low as thirty eight in the beginning. And then as high as about 550 uh, would have been earlier this year. And now we're sitting at about 440, 450 as of, you know, uh, yesterday. So it's, it's 
the volatility has uh, is definitely there and you, you can't really avoid that in a micro cap. So it's not going to be like an S&P fund or anything like that where you have just a couple of percentage point moves. And, and that's kind of driven um, by the fact that I own a lot of illiquid stocks. That's part of my strategy is to find these stocks before kind of everybody's getting in and, and trading them and investing in them. So it doesn't take much to move a stock either up or down by 10, 20%. You know, sometimes you'd see a $1,000 sale and the stock's down 15%, right? It's lost a few million dollars in market cap because someone needs to buy it, you know. Hold uh, on. Fadi, I got to stop you. By illiquid Australian micro cap, do you mean, you know, it only trades? Not like, TSX liquid. What, like two, two million <laughs> shares a day? Is that, is that? Is I that, actually, but you know, I'm going to broaden my my investing scope and I'm, I'm going to try, I'll buy a stock on the TSX. Right? So I bought a zinc okay. stock on wow, the TSX about four months ago just to see how it was over, the, you know, over in your part of town. And it, the illiquidity is just <laughs> insane. You know, we would have illiquid days here, maybe a week. But, you know, if you get more than $5,000 worth of trades a day on the TSX, like, oh, my gosh, you know, the, the money's pouring through. So <laughs> I, I don't know how they do it. And even the valuations, like even if you just, I, I tweeted this last week, if you just pick up a company on the TSX and move it to ASX, you would increase your liquidity by about 10x. And you'd also probably double the valuation of the company. Just because there's more money, there's more investors, you know, more people are keeping an eye on it. So I think you just need to pick up the TSX and put it on the ASX and then just let's just run it as one. <laughs> I th you know what? I think there's a few TSX companies that would not mind that right now for yeah. sure. You know, in talking to some Canadian investors, you know, they, they'll be the first to tell you, especially non-mining stuff. I mean, even the mining stuff, it, it's very much dried up, but especially yeah. the non-mining You definitely can't, like, I didn't day trade at all, but th there's no way a day trader could survive on the TSX because there's there's no volume to move the stock either up or down. So yeah, I think it'd be a good idea if we just, just combine them both because you, you've got some amazing companies that like resource-wise, Canada is fantastic, you know, probably one of the best in the world. Um, so there's a lot of amazing stocks there, but it's just too difficult. Or maybe I'm focusing on the wrong stocks, but it's too difficult to like get a position um, and actually, you know, sooner or later, you, you do need to sell to actually make the money. So um, maybe it's only been a few months, but we'll see how we go. Absolutely. Well, talk to me more about Australia. I mean, what's been going on down there? How has how has ASX really performed? I mean, I'll be honest, I haven't kept too close yeah. an eye on it. You know, I've I've done a few interviews with some Australian listed companies that we did for due diligence with a gold disclosure. I'm not a shareholder, but with Camplify and Cog State, um, yeah. which a few folks might know know about vis-a-vis -vis some other investors that I've interviewed over the years. But I mean, just from your perspective, what's going on? So, you know, at an industry perspective, we we, can't, we kind of just follow the Dow. You know, whatever the Dow does overnight, the, the Aussies, we, we wake up in the morning, see what's happened in the US overnight, and they just copy that. Um, and so, but in the micro cap space, which is um, solely in that space, since about February, really coming into March, it's just been, yeah, pretty much a bloodbath across. So I, I did, um, so I've been spending the last probably three or four months purely researching, you know, not buying or selling anything. The, the stocks that I held before the kind of correction happened, I'd already decided prior to that point, I'm only going to hold stocks that I'm happy to hold through a correction. So I didn't have to make any decisions during the bad times around what should I hold or sell. All that was done during the good times, which was great. Um, but, you know, I, I went through about 650 odd stocks. I'm not sure the exact number, but yeah, 600 plus stocks. And the majority of them were down 50 to 80%. Purely micro cap. I think that, um, all of them were sub 10 million market cap so it was the smallest end of of town and the vast majority were down somewhere between 50 and 80 percent and if you look at the, the correlation of the ones that kind of held up pretty well compared to the rest it, it really came down to two factors you know did directors hold 
um, a lot of stock themselves? And did they have enough cash where they didn't actually have to raise through a correction? Because that's the worst time. Let's say a stock was trading at 50 cents. It goes down to 20 during a correction. You have no money. There's no confidence in the market. Then the only way you're going to raise money is if you raise at like 12, 13, 14, 15. You know, so you just heavily dilute yourself during the bad times. And then even when the good times return, your market cap now is so much higher because you've diluted yourself so much that they don't recover as well. So those are the two interesting kind of factors in my strategy that I picked up were had really found this correlation between between the ones that were down maybe 20% to 30 compared to the ones that were 50 to 80. Those two factors played a big part. But we've seen, you know, obviously as we've, you know, it's been risk on pretty much the last month. NASDAQ is, you know, going really well. Bitcoin's going up. So all, all of the kind of the, the risk on um, stocks and other assets have done really well, which means so have the micro caps. So the last month has been really good. But, you know, you, I don't know how people kind of keep their sanity when they're trading month to month because, you know, yeah, the Dow was down 600 points overnight. And so I'm sure you know, our markets have just opened about 10 minutes ago. I haven't checked yet, but I'm sure everything's red. So it's like, I... I I take, you know, as you know, like a two to three year period time horizon in my stocks. And if I was doing this month to month or week to week, it would just be way too stressful. But yeah, at the, at the moment, uh, recovering from the, the, the correction earlier in the year. But, you know, all it takes is a, a couple of bad days on the Dow or, or the US indices and then they, they'll just go back down. Absolutely. So among the 20 to 30 percent, I mean, any sectors that kind of stand out that have recovered kind of well or has been across the board? Um, mostly the the mining stocks in the battery space. So any, you know, they had huge runs, right? Um, especially lithium. Um, but if you look at copper, um, graphite, they, they've held up pretty well because the demand is still there. And lithium has come back really well since, um, you know, some of the, the majors came out with articles a couple months ago saying the lithium price is going to drop, et cetera. Of course, you, you then find out that they're, they're actually buying lithium stocks after they announced that. Um, but the lithium price has held up pretty well. So they've come back really well themselves. But again, if you were a lithium stock without cash and you, you raised um, in the last couple of months, you're, you're nowhere near um, going back to where you were you know, in February or March. But uh, biotechs didn't do really well. Um, we, we've seen just in the US now, again, I'll keep referring to the US because we, we just copy whatever happens in the US. Uh, biotechs have been starting to do really well the last month. Um, psychedelics in the past uh, few weeks have, have done really well. Um, MindMed and et cetera on, on the US exchange have done really well. Uh, I don't know his name, that 20-year-old guy who turned 10 million into 100 million trading meme stocks. Well, oh, I've forgotten his God. name. Yeah. Anyway, he, he, he brought some psychedelic stocks. The next thing you know, the whole sector's on fire now. So um, it's, it's changing really quickly. Um, and, it's, and it's too difficult to be able to say, this is a good sector now. Um, I'm going to trade it right now because by the time you buy, it might be too late. So you, re like, you really got to get ahead and try to anticipate what's going to happen. And get in before everyone does, and then after everyone comes in, you know you've got that that cushion um, or that 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 entry that gives you a bit of you know uh, helps you sleep at night because it's already up 20, 30, 40 percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say, but at the same time, like you can't anticipate you know a whale coming in and all of a sudden that gets major headlines, and now that like you, you just that's not that that's kind of stuff you can't. No, you yeah. can't. But you you can anticipate, for example, that psychedelics um psilocybin mdma right uh, the in our current society where they're really moving towards that kind of um uh, way of dealing with stress right people want it the public want it the the tga the fda they've rejected it a couple of times but 
if you look at the history of their rejections, each time you can see they're getting a bit closer to being comfortable with it. So you can kind of look ahead and say, you know, I've, I won't mention the stock name or anything like that, but I've been holding a, a psychedelic stock for about 12 months now uh, in anticipation of one of the majors, because they'll all just copy each other, one of the majors kind of saying, you know, like the FDA saying, we'll be open to it if the results come back positive. And just the results from um, the stocks that I I own and the stocks that I've been keeping an eye on overseas, they've been really positive. So I think we're, we're in that stage where perhaps in the next 12 months, you know, psychedelics is really going to take off as a sector. So you can, you don't have to wait for a while to come in, you know, as a small retail investor and small in comparison to, you know, huge hedge funds. But as small retail investors, we have the opportunity to get in and out much easier than these big whales can. Because right, they need time to buy, they need time to sell. And you might be buying when they're selling and you don't even know they're selling because they, they, they don't have to report for 30, 60 days or even quarterly. So we have that advantage over the majors. That's fascinating. I, I didn't realize that uh, there, there was actually a few psychedelics companies that were even listed on the ASX. I thought it was completely all CSC. Well, we have, we have um, there's two main ones. Um, and one has now dual listed on um, in, in the US. And so the other one, I hold the other one. It's obviously a much smaller market cap. The other one's about... Uh, IHL is about a you know billion dollar valuation um, at its peak, so I don't buy anything that that large. But uh, our the richest man in Australia, Twiggy, he's actually invested in one of these psychedelic stocks, and just last week he announced that he's launching a two hundred fifty million dollar psychedelics fund. So you can see that the money flow is starting to come in. At being the richest man in Australia, he will obviously you know get some advertising in, and some other players might think it's a good idea to start moving in. So the, the money flow is really important. You can be in a good sector that you think is a good sector, right? That the the broader market doesn't, and you can own a really good stock that's just going to sit there and not do much until the money comes in. So a big part of my job is just trying to anticipate where's the money going to come in, and when's it going to leave. So that's why I try and keep an eye on um, there today. Absolutely. One, one more question on psychedelics, because it's funny. I did an interview um, with the analyst who uh, 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 back in May talking about psychedelics in the or I think it was in June, actually, we published that, where yeah. we talked about the industry and where it's going. So from your perspective, I mean, because it was getting it got killed up until now. Like, I mean, it, was, right. it I mean, it saw it saw a meteoric rise when it was risk on right last year. And then and then kind of at the beginning of this year, it, it had a lot of it, it reminded me a lot of cannabis circa 2014 where it was as hot as could be and then within six months you know yeah it eventually has gone through different roller coasters and stuff like that but you know with psychedelics it is it's so new you know and so nice so for for you i mean is this something that you see as more of a long-term play or something that you're probably like all right it will probably get a little bit of steam in the next six 12 months as some of these results become more public or get out there more and maybe some things change and then it might die off or just the momentum of it might die off in like a you know another six to 12 months you know what, what's your thought process yeah generally my strategy is around that, that two to three year hold kind of mark um and when i'm buying it's an, the anticipation is somewhere in the, the next six to 12 months there's going to be broader money flow coming into that sector um, whether it lasts for 10 years, whether it lasts for two years, it's very hard to say how long things will last for. For me, it's purely about, is does this sector have the ability to actually um, build a story where big funds, right, institutions are willing to put their money on the line? And because there's, there's only a few of them and their market cap is quite small, it doesn't actually take much for it to take off as a sector. And you, you mentioned cannabis, right? There were about a thousand cannabis companies on the ASX and in, in the US. 
So um, with uh, psychedelics, there's really a handful. In Australia, two or three. In, in the US, maybe, I don't know, 10 to 15 of the main ones. I'm sure there's a lot of smaller ones doing some work, but the main ones, like the mind meds, there's not many of them. So what, what generally happens, and it happened with cannabis, you had, you had a few stocks, the whole sector took off. Next thing you know, every Tom, Dick and Harry is now wants to be in cannabis. The, the companies start to come into the sector, the, the money starts to be shared across all of them. And then eventually it comes down, right? And it, we saw that with, with lithium. So huge run, came back. And then in 2019, you saw the, the price start to go up again because the, if the fundamentals are there, the, the cycle is going to be very volatile, but the, 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 the price is eventually going to keep rising. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be hot for 10 years and then fizzle out and it will be gone for the next 10. Right? Sure. It just depends. Sure. If the, the sector itself has the fundamentals to actually become a sector that will be hot for maybe even five to 10 years, say like lithium has been, then if you can hold through the um, volatility, then you know you can do really well. And I'll give you an example. So, and we've got that question on Twitter about rare earths, right? Not sure if everyone knows, but rare earths is in the commodity space. You know, uh, not it's used for you know pretty much every techno technological device. You know, you couldn't build any of your weapon weaponry in your in your navy or your air force without rare earths. It's a very critical mineral and metal. So, China controls about ninety percent of the market, right? And back when Trump was elected. You could see that the tension, you know, with the trade wars and everything between the US and China. And so I was looking at the, the rare earth sector in general, see what happened in the past. And we found in 2010, China, they still controlled 90% back then, China had an issue with Japan, right? And China said, overnight, that's it. We are no longer exporting any more of our rare earths to Japan. And so you see the price of the rare earths ETF and the actual price of the minerals exploded. And that was the last rare earth boom in 2010. And so if you can anticipate that the, the uh, tension between the US and China was going to continue for more than, say, 12 months, which I couldn't really see a scenario where they're just going to become really good friends again, then the rare earth price should have continually increased until you get to the point where perhaps China does something like they did in 2010. And, but this time, they'll be really smart about it because back then there were a lot of sanctions put on them because they did that and they eventually had to reverse you know, quite quickly. Yep. Then you see China release a white paper saying, you know, we might have to reduce our exports because of rare earths because it's now a, a critical uh, mineral in our uh, economy. So now they're, they're setting up the scenario where if they wanted to make a move, it wouldn't have to be um, uh, as a sanction on anyone else. Like I said, we, we just want to keep it for ourselves it's of critical importance and we're just going to no longer export it. And so when they released that, you saw the price go up again. And so this, I got into that, and I still have that stock today uh, uh, in my 50K challenge. But when I, I, I had already bought in my personal portfolio before that the challenge ever launched, you know, Rare Earths has been incredible. And we're still sitting here, what now, four, five, four years later. And of course, been through a lot, a lot of volatility, the, the Rare Earth ETF has, has done really well, come back a lot, and then done really well again. But we're still sitting here four years later, and it's the, the whole sector, and you know the stocks that used to be the five to 10 mil market caps, another two to 300 mil market caps. So if you can hold through the volatility and you find a sector that isn't just you know like cannabis goes through, you know, it goes through the, the US legal system to get approved, two months later, it gets rejected, and now the whole sector has collapsed. If you can find something that has a bit more fundamentals behind it, 
to create a three, four, five year kind of bull market, then you know the, you can do incredibly well in the micro caps. Absolutely. I got to tell you, I did not expect us to be talking about psychedelics and rare earths today. Oh, yeah. Let's just totally, it totally, <laughs> totally out of the blue. I love it, though. Yeah. You know, it's funny. When you but of think course, about- just to give the uh, disclaimer, sure. you're now, if you're buying a rare earth stock now, right, you're buying four years into a bull market. You, you haven't identified a sector that no one has really caught on to yet and buying before the, the, the rest of the masses do and then allowing them to catch up to where you're at and then increase the valuation of the stock to give you that buffer. Everyone knows about rare earths. Everyone knows China's got 90%. Everyone knows they could use it against the world. So you're probably paying a 20 to 30 mil market cap now to get a company that was only worth 5 mil four years ago. So the risk is a lot higher. Yeah, but it, but that must be unique. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. And if any of your followers like want to call me a, a ding dong for even saying this, <laughs> I, I fully admit be, that's fine. But, I, you know... Because I'm and and I'm only speaking from experience. Is this uniquely only Australian? Because I haven't interviewed a rare earth company. I got to tell you, it may be in over five years, if that. Maybe maybe more. China owns the majority of the leases, so there's not many that outside of China that actually uh, um, exist. And those that exist, the majority of them are just private companies. So there's not that many explorers now. Well, well, the U.S. can't because there's a lot of environmental Canada. I mean, all of them that used to have rare earth in their name no longer do, um, you know, because that happened quite a bit. Um, And and so, yeah, I mean, at least in North America, there's just been completely no action, despite everyone being completely aware of this. The only thing has been on the battery metal side, right, is lithium companies, you know, that that has stayed in that. Not, I don't necessarily want to say momentum or anything like that, but at least that has stayed within the purview. Rare earths. You're the only person I've talked about rare earths with in years. Yeah, you see the U.S. government, instead of giving money to build a, a processing plant to a U.S. company, they gave it to an Australian company for rare earths. So you, you might, I think that the difference between the ASX and the rest of the world when it comes to um, mining companies is, you know, you probably have a hundred mil market cap entry, barrier of entry to get into the U.S., right? For us, we, we, that doesn't exist. So we, we've got, we've got uh, probably I don't know, 700 to 1,000 mining companies on the ASX, right? All of them drilling different things, getting different results. So let's say you're, you're drilling for copper and when you, you send your assays through for review and processing, comes back that you've got rare earths, right? You know you've got rare earths, but you don't care. That's not your sector. The, the, the economies of scale don't work for that sector prior to the sector moving, right? So you're like, oh, okay, we've got, rare, we've got rare earths. We don't really care about it. We're not going to dig, dig, dig too deep. We're going to keep looking at copper. Then rare earths all of a sudden, starts to go crazy and everyone goes, oh, wait, didn't we have rare earths? Oh, let me go back through our jewelry results. Oh, okay, now we're a rare earths company. Um, and so we can do that because our, a lot of our companies, like I told you, those 600, six to 700 under 10 mil market cap. We've got a lot of stocks that are really small. That's what's unique about us. And so does Canada, but your liquidity is so low that it's very hard for any kind of big fund to come in and make the move. So I think that's the uniqueness of Australia. Where our, we can move much more fluidly across our sectors to say, um, What's and in a micro cap, of course, you want to be in a sector that could, that is going to bring you money flow, and and hopefully the management of those these companies know that, and so they're constantly moving between, and it's a good and a bad thing, but they're, they're moving between sectors, trying to you know perhaps get lucky and say we we were never focusing on rare earths, but guess what, we've got this drill hole that showed high grade uh, results. We're going to do a drill program now now you know five or ten drill holes to see what we have. And now the, the money flow will come in and next thing you know, they'll be worth 20 million. 
And anyway, if they've got something, they might continue. If they don't, they might try and find something else. But I think that's why we can have such a diverse set of companies on ASX is because they can move much more easily because we don't have, if you have a hundred more market cap, you can't say we're going to get into rare earths. You know, you can't create any value there. But if you're worth five mil and you want to create, you want to, you know, raise some cash to do some drilling and you can change your story every day. For better or worse, right? Yeah. It's a bad thing because if you're a hold of these companies, they're going to, they keep changing what they're doing. Yeah. You'll obviously know that they don't have a long-term strategy that's going to deliver success. Right. right. And I'll try to, as much as I can to avoid those companies because they're good for a quick trade. I don't trade, but anyone who does trade, it's great. You can, they, they create momentum, the, the money flows in, you can get in and out. Next thing you know, they've changed to a completely different sector and starts, starts again. But I'd rather find a company that is saying, you know, this is what we're going to focus on. I agree that that sector is going to be a good one for the next, say, two, three, four years, like we're back in 2018. I'm happy to get in there and back you to see what you can do. Got it. All right. So, I mean, it, you mentioned psychedelics already. I mean, is there any other sectors that you see that has some of those the, those tailwinds for the next two, three, four years? Yeah, but I get, we spoke about the, the critical um, yeah. metals. But again, it's been three years. Lithium price is 10 x you can still buy lithium. I'm not saying don't buy lithium stocks. But I'm saying you got to remember where in the scale or where in the timeline you're entering. It's definitely not in the beginning. So, it, you know, I personally didn't think lithium was going to have another run for a while. Now look at it. It's, it's and I, I was happy to say I was wrong and buy lithium stocks. The outlook had changed, but um, it's not 2016 where lithium is this new thing that no one knows about and all of a sudden the price is going to explode. It's already 10x. So how much more can it do? Um, but I, I long-term, I think copper is fantastic. Um, gold is very underloved at the moment. Uh, I think sometime in the next 12 months, that, that will probably change the sentiment. You know, uh, rising interest rates isn't great for gold. And if you think that, you know, that rates have risen quite a bit already, how much more can they, can they go up? You know, we've seen the gold price it's gone back a bit now, but ever since the Fed kind of said, we're going to, you know, use data and kind of slow down, the gold price started doing well again because everyone's thinking there's no more interest rate rises. So it depends on what, you know, what's happening at that macro level. But I like gold, I like copper, and I like psychedelics, my kind of three main sectors for kind of new sectors that could, you know, potentially have, you know, quite a few years of a bull market. Very good. And by the way, I forgot to ask you, are you a shareholder of MindMed? You, you mentioned that. just No, moment. no. I, I haven't mentioned any stock that I hold, any name of a stock that I hold intentionally. Okay. Um, but right. but MindMed's way too big for me anyway. Okay, good. All right. Just one. Yeah. Eh, I don't have any US you stocks. Know, you know us. <laughs> you know, I'm annoying about this. So yeah. um, another one I want to ask you about is, you know, the boring stuff. You know, the stuff that yeah. maybe doesn't catch the headlines. It's not really in growthy industries. I'm sure you hold a few of them in 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 the in the 50K challenge. You know, how's that holding up right now in in, uh, in Australia? The, the overall market, you mean? Nah, just the boring stuff. You know, the boring boring companies, you know, every day, you know, the stuff that, that doesn't catch all the headlines, you know, but... Not good. My, my, not good? No, nah, because there's only so much money at the moment. Like, if, if you think of the confidence levels, you know, it's changed in the last month. But since kind of the end of Jan, beginning of Feb, confidence is out the window. So unless you have a really cool story that you can get a lot of people excited about, then you're not going to get, no one's going to be buying your companies. And that is a good thing if you believe that that sector that that boring company is in will change shortly. Because then you can buy as much stock as you like, as slowly, you don't need to rush, you don't need to um, rise the price. You're the, the buyer has the power. You can just sit there and let them feed you stock um, for months on end. And then... When things start to get better, if you you know, obviously you have to predict it correctly. But if, if things start to change for that sector, then you know you, you'll do really well. 
But um, if you're not in a in a really good sector, like uh, biotechs have just been smashed for so long in Australia um, because they need a lot of money, right? You need, need a lot of capital. You, they raise a lot. And so every, it's pretty clear. If you look at the balance sheet, they've got 2 million cash. You know in six months they're going to raise money. And if you everyone's thinking the world's going to end, so the market's not going to be that good in six months, you know, probably. Then you know they're just going to dilute themselves and the share price is going to go down. So it doesn't really even matter what you have. So I think that people are, and it's good, people are using more of a fundamental approach rather than just buying the next meme stock or the next crypto and trying to you know, become millionaires. But um, it's all about timing. And a boring company can be a really exciting company, very, and it can change very quickly. But if you stay as a boring company, then you know, that doesn't really matter what they do unless they can become really profitable. You, you're not going to make much uh, you know, appreciation in the share price. For the time being. For the time being, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Anything can change, that's the thing. Of course. No, that's 100% true. Yeah. Look, I like asking about the boring stuff because, you know, the, the stuff that gets the hype, you know, more of the cash flows, all that kind of stuff, that's going to get it regardless of me and you talking about it, right? Yeah. You know? I, I love the boring stuff. Look at gold. Yeah. Everyone hates gold. In, in, Everyone. In 2020, you couldn't find uh, a gold miner in Australia or, or explorer, sorry, for under 10 mil market cap. It was the shell companies with a terrible lease in the middle of Africa that was never going to work, was valued somewhere between 10 and 15 million market cap. You couldn't find anything under that. Now, you can't find anything as, as high as that. You can, you've got some companies with great drill results, lots of cash, great management in a good sector, and they're valued at 3 million. You can buy whatever you like right now. But if you think that gold is going to do well, it's, it's fantastic. You should be really happy about um, the gold stocks not moving yet. As long as you've got a, a longer term horizon, so sure. it's not bad to be in, a, in a, a boring, boring sector. As long as eventually it changes. So okay, so on the growthy side, you know the things that you're kind of focused on right now. What are some yeah. of the things that you're looking for that you're hoping, like okay, these I think are good quality bets in these spaces. Without you know, I, obviously you're not going to name the names. But oh, like, I mention any stocks, but yeah, really the two sectors are copper and uh, psychedelics. Right. So, okay, with within those, you know, what are what are some of the what are some of the qualities that you're looking for that for you are like, okay, this supports a good fundamental thesis for this company in these sectors. Yeah. So, my strategy is pretty much right. I've got a, I've got a number of factors that I'll, I will go. I'll run every company through to see do they meet the bare minimums of me um, actually spending a proper amount of time researching them. So, some of those things include: do directors hold enough stock? that they've actually used their own money to purchase. Because if they don't, if they don't believe the company is going to go up, then why would I back them? And if they do believe the company is going to go up, then why wouldn't they buy stock? So one of the big things for me is got nothing to do with the actual stock itself. How, how much do management hold? And I like that 15% mark. If they can control 15% of the register, then it shows that they're confident in, what, in their own abilities and, and the future of the stock. Um, second thing we spoke about already, about cash levels. Do they Does the company have enough cash to get through two years, right, without having to raise any more capital, unless and I'm happy for them to raise capital if it's for something that's going to promote growth. But if it's for general working capital, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. If you didn't have two years worth of money in the bank, I'm not interested because I know, and the market knows, you're low on cash, and we all know that you're going to try and get the share price up to raise money at a higher price, which is very difficult when you're low on cash. So I'll just wait. Even if it's a good company, it's the, the odds of it going up is going to be quite low. So I'm happy to just wait, wait for that announcement to come out to say we're raising capital and then I can get in at a lower price. And the market, the whole market knows that. 
So that's something else to look at. Um, the previous success of management, you know, if this is a first time CEO or director who's never done anything before, then, you know, what, what are the odds that this person is going to be really successful? It's quite low. But you find someone who's done it two or three times before, and there's no guarantees, right? In, in anything, especially in the markets. But if you find someone who's taken an explorer to a producer, and sometimes two or three times they've done that, and they own a lot of stock in, in, in the company, then my risk has just been reduced immensely. So I look at that. And when it, and then it's pretty much sector dependent. So if it's a mining company, you know, what's the jurisdiction? Um, we, we've seen uh, a stock in Africa. Uh, I don't own it, so I'll say the name AVZ. Was an explorer, went up to about a billion dollars in valuation and has been in a halt now for, you know, three or four months because the, the government in that African nation is um, and their partners are trying to reduce the Australian company's percentage of ownership. It's not Canada, it's not Australia, you know, it's, it's in a bad jurisdiction, which anything can change pretty much overnight. So I'm not against Africa. I think Africa's got some fantastic opportunities, but you, you've got to look at the, um, the actual jurisdiction they're in, have a look at the, you know, wh what protections are in place for shareholders and management. So that's something important. And then obviously the, 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 your, your grade and how much tons you have. So if I've, if I've got a company, I don't buy any company that's got just virgin ground. So we've never drilled this area before. Um, we, the whole area hasn't been drilled. We're just taking a bit of a pot-like approach and seeing if there's anything in, in the ground here, right? So I don't like I don't like to buy those companies. But if you've got one that has said, you know, we've done in the past before the lease was purchased by us, there were a few drill holes. Here are the results of those drill holes. If you look at our neighbors, you know, 200 meters to the right, you've got a, a $200 million market cap gold company. And a K down the road on the left, you've got a $500 million market cap company. And so you, you, all those things start to reduce risk. doesn't mean that they're going to have some huge amount of resource in the ground. Um, and to be honest, it doesn't need to be. And one thing I, I constantly tweet about is, as the general public would think, uh, micro cap or penny stock investor, whatever you want to call it, it, are people who are trying to find the next Netflix or the next Amazon, right? And it's kind of like a lot of approach. Buy a company and hope it's the next big thing. That's not what I do. I don't expect any of my, say, mining companies to ever produce anything. Because it, you don't go from an explorer to a producer overnight. You don't go from 5 mil market cap to 1 billion market cap overnight. There's a, a range of different um, uh, targets and goals that the company would have. And at each time you de-risk and you, you further your exploration and find some positive results, the market cap will slowly rise. But that doesn't mean that these companies are going to become producers. So much has to happen. And a lot of the times you need a bit of luck for these explorers to eventually become producers. And I would say, you know, I was thinking about this not long ago. I've held probably a few hundred different stocks in my time, maybe three or 400. I don't know the exact number. Um, one of them became a producer. And that stock I did not hold for very long. Um, I bought, <laughs> pretty embarrassing. Bought it at, I think, two cents. Um, wasn't happy with their progress, sold, and now they they hit a high four dollars. So that everyone was like, oh, if you just held that one company, you know, you could have made X amount. But the thing is, that's one out of four hundred. You know, how how could anyone have known that that was going to be the company that went on to become a producer and you know, hundred or two hundred X? To me, there's a much higher chance of me saying I'm going to find this stock at five mil. As they start to meet their objectives, right, and they get a few good drill holes, um, they have a jork resource that's not ready to um, to translate into, you know, a, a measured resource, which means you actually can use that 
to create your studies and get the approval from the banks to, to mine um, or, or produce. So to me, you can make much more money finding them when no one knows about them, selling them when the risk starts to turn against you because if they don't become a producer, you're all of a sudden going to lose a lot of money. So I'd rather sell at that stage and good luck to the company. I hope they become producers. Then find the next one that hasn't moved. So it's not like uh, you need to find the, the next big thing to make money and you don't need to find uh, uh, the next Amazon or, or the next Regas Gold or whatever it is to be really successful in the micro cap space. You can, if you get like, you know, obviously a lot of luck to find the next big stock because the, you don't actually know what they have in the ground or you don't know that their, their tech is actually going to be profitable or you don't know if their biotech studies are going to um, yield good results. You actually, a lot, you don't, every stage releases, a, it's like playing poker. You get a bit, you get two cards in your hand and you get a bit of information. You don't know what five cards are going to be turned over. So you say, okay, based on what I have, do I have two seven off suit or do I have ace king suited? You know what? I've got a good card. I'm happy to pay to see the first three. So you put your money down. The first three cards come out. You're like, you know what? I've actually got nothing. Or the odds of me hitting a run, a runner straight, for example, are pretty low. So I'm happy to say I took a risk, lose a bit of money, I'll fold here. But if you get good cards on, on the flop, you're going to say, okay, let's, I'll pay a bit more. Let's see what the turn shows and what the river shows. So it's just about always evaluating. Where's the company? Um, where's the whole sector and then making decisions as you go rather than saying I'm going to buy it and I'm going to hold it for 10 years and it's going to be Amazon and I'm going to become a billionaire. Absolutely. And thank you for that entire breakdown. Cause you know, look, when it comes to looking at junior mining companies and I've just done a ton of CEO video interviews <laughs> yeah. with, with some junior mining companies on our YouTube channel, I, you know, go check some of that out. Um, and there's quite a few more that are coming as well. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because it, you know, at a certain point, it does almost start to sound like, okay, this all kind of starts to sound the same. You know, we're drilling right next to these elephants and we hit yeah. some amazing mineralization. And yeah, assays are taking a little while because everything's backed up, but we're going to expect, you know, our news flow to be all about drill results. But it was really interesting because I've done a few interviews with some royalty and streaming companies. And what they've been saying is that it's been, they've been never been busier. Never been busier because they because a lot of these junior mining companies that are looking to put more money in the ground, a lot of that liquid, a lot of the the capital, uh, just a lot of the capital's dried up. You know yeah, the traditional right. sources of income, so they've gone to some of these royalty and streaming companies to do some of these deals in order to just put more money in the ground. I don't know what what's your take on that because that 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 to me actually is kind of interesting. It, for those exploration companies that they're they they believe so much in their story and where they're where where they're drilling i mean obviously this is more on the pro side on the con yeah. side you know they're they're exponential but at least on the pro side it's like hey they're willing to do whatever it takes to continue to explore in an area that they believe has a lot of potential you know i don't know what, what's your take on that we're going to remember that the uh the ceos have uh are in that position for a reason and their job is to sell the company right of course so for me i, I really put a lot of that aside and just look at my strategy look at do do they have enough shares do they have enough cash what's this what's the structure look like right do they have only 30 percent of the total shareholdings with in Australia, we have, I don't think you have it in the US, but we, our companies are obliged to release what's called a top 20, which is the top 20 shareholders in each company has to be publicly available every year in the annual report. You can do it more if you like, but at least once a year in your annual report. And if you have a company that's the top, if the top 20 don't own the, the majority of the stock, then it's a very loose register, 
right? So I didn't care if you're getting it from a broker who's cornerstone somebody or you've, it's a royalty company that's looking to, you know, expand their operations or, or if it's the, you know, the richest man in Australia taking a 7% stake in your company, whatever it is, I don't want to get involved in the, or kind of fall for the story. You know, it's just the old saying of don't fall in love with the stock, right? Um, or as Ian Castle says, fall in love with the stock, but be ready to divorce it quickly. Um, I don't want to fall for any kind of, uh, sales pitch. I know what I've seen enough in 12 years that I know what works, what doesn't work. I know everyone has the greatest intention to find the next big drill hole, which is going to make it, you know, go up 100x or whatever. But a lot of that comes down to luck. And that you, you, you just can't get around that. So it's good that you're raising money as long as it's to someone who is going to be sticky holder and not just dump at the first sign of a good result and happy to lock in 20%, then I don't mind where you get your money from. Absolutely. Hey, one quick question on, on one of the criteria that you look at that you want you know somebody that's done it before, right? Or at least yeah. in some kind of adjacent area. You know, going back to psychedelics, no one's done it. No one. No. So, I, so, so yeah. how, how do you adjust your criteria there? Um. It, it pretty much is the, the previous success of the management in general. Just in general. Okay, that's why I figured yeah. With mining stocks, it's easy. You know? Yeah, oh yeah. But most of them have been around for 20 years. They've worked for all these different companies. Have they taken any um, explorer to a producer? Um, and it's very easy to find that information, publicly available. Uh-huh. All of the new kind of hot sectors, very difficult. And that's just something that I have to account for in my in my risk strategy. So maybe I don't take a big uh, as big a... Uh, portfolio um, allocation to that stock because I just don't know enough about the management in their past to know whether they can pull this off or not. Um, so a lot of the time, it's not black and white. You've met all the criteria. I'm going to invest 10% of my portfolio into your stock. It's going to be, this is, again, back to the poker analogy. This is the information I have, right? Based on that information, what's my risk? If I think my risk is really low, I'll, I'll put a larger percentage of my portfolio into it. If I think, you know what, it, it ticks seven of the 10 boxes and I won't know a bit more of those other three uh, factors for another maybe six months, maybe I'll, I'll take a 5% stake and then increase slowly as more information comes in or decrease if they don't if they don't start to actually perform. That actually answers one of the questions on Twitter, which I was just going to get to. So I think that, I think that pretty much answers the, the the position sizing, right? From uh, at, uh, Very Cash. important and very... Um, not, no one really thinks about it. And to me, I learned the hard way, like we spoke about last time. Um, I had one stock that uh, 30 bagged and went from just a few percent to 80% of my portfolio. And I thought, why the hell would I sell this? It's the best stock I own. Why would I even sell any of it when it's got, you know, who knows what it's going to go to? And then you pay the price, right? And so as I get older and as, and as you make more money, your focus starts to change from how do I make the most amount of po- money possible? And then how do I protect my capital, right? As I start to shift more to the right, my portfolio size per stock starts to decrease. So, you know, I was at max 40%, then 35%, then 30%. Now I'm at around 25%, somewhere between 25 and 30 Um, But, you know, if I was 20, 20 years old and just I've got a small portfolio and I want to try and, you know, increase the size as much as possible, you'd have to take on more risk to do that. But it just kind of depends where you're at in your uh, career and how much money you've made because... Yeah, there's the saying of you know you can it's easy to make money it's hard to keep the money right and we've seen that it was, it was really easy in 2020 or mid 2020 to mid 2021 but really didn't matter what stock you bought you made money 
How many of those people have kept those gains within the last six months? Not many. And I only know that I'm not um, uh, lecturing anyone. It's because I've gone through that myself so many times. I've blew up multiple accounts, lost millions of dollars, made every mistake under the sun. And I'm only, so I'm just learning from my own mistakes. So that I don't even think that I'm, you know, lecturing them. Um, it's just because you, you either take the lesson and most of the time it's better just to make the mistake yourself because it, it kind of gets ingrained in your psyche and you get, you know, it, it helps you make better decisions. But sooner or later you'll make, you'll make those mistakes and you realize why it's important to have uh, not only a stock analysis or stock strategy of how you find these stocks and analyze them, but also how do you actually manage your portfolio? And that's something that I only learned, you know, like I said, by making mistakes. A hundred percent. And that every, I really hope everybody takes that talk. Everything that you just said, well, a lot of what you said today, but especially that to heart, because that is, uh, it's, it's, you don't need to make the same mistakes. You don't need to make the same mistakes as, as Badi did or, or any, any other microcap investors that we've had on this program, which is why we have this, this show here to begin with. Um, yeah. And I'll even add one more disclosure, especially with some of the growth stuff that, that we're talking about here today. You know, we poke fun. We, you know, we've been covering the space for a long time as Fadi has been in it for 12 years. I've been covering all these kinds of microcaps for 11 plus years, you know, do your due diligence, do the research, really know your stuff, just, just know your stuff before you go and 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 enter. You need a strategy, I think, is the yeah. summary. Um, and I, I didn't do this for a long time, but you, you the the extent of someone's analysis, or let's just get, talk about myself in the first say five, oh yeah, probably three to four years, was this company has so much potential. I just really, I need to own this company. I have no idea what the risk is, but I just know that if all goes well, they will make a lot of money. And sometimes that happens. But a lot of the times it doesn't. And even if it happens, if you don't lock in the profits, you're going to lose the profits anyway. So you need to have a strategy to say, okay, this, what's for me, it's, and a lot of people find this hard to believe, but my, I, I'm looking for stocks that have a risk of uh, losing 30%, right? That's how I'll try to analyze. If you, can you lose more than 30%? If yes, very unlikely for me to come in. If no, then okay, what's your, then what's your potential? And I like to look for a minus 30 plus 500 potential. So I'm, how can you find a minus 30 plus 500 potential stock? I'm not going to give any stock names, but let's say I'll, I'll just talk out, out loud about one of the stocks that I, I own now. And I won't talk about even what they do, but just about the company itself. It, was, it had a valuation of $7 million, right? At the time I bought it, they had 5 million cash in the bank, right? So the, the enterprise value was only $2 million. To list on the ASX is going to cost you somewhere between a million and a million and a half. So you already have that um, valuation. Even if, if you've got nothing at all, you don't have a business, you're still going to be valued about somewhere between a million to a million and a half because that's how, that's how much the entity costs to list. So out of the, take away the 5 million, take away, let's just say the, the, the 1 million, we're left with 1 million of valuation, right? So let's just say that the, the public believes that company at some stage after I'll buy it, it's going to be worthless. It's still going to be worth $6 million because of those two things I spoke about. So the, the loss was going to be definitely not more than 30%. The gain on the other side, they had, they had on two sides, two major takeovers, one for about 300 million, one for about 450 million, right? It's a mining stock. Either side of them was taken over. They had historical dual results that showed that there was there's something there. I don't know how good it is, no idea. But there was something in that ground that was representative of what those two um, other companies were taken over for. 
So if you look at the potential, I don't, I, I don't need to go from five million or seven million to five hundred million. I need to go from seven million to thirty-five million, right? That's my five hundred percent. My the, the loss is definitely not thirty percent. So to me, I'm in. I'm happy. I'm happy to find that. But in the past, though, it was this stock can do five hundred. I'm in. But I'll give you an example of a. a I've never invested in oil since, um, and I never will again. But there was an oil stock. Apparently, you know, all the, all the studies came out, the reports uh, saying there's a 30% chance that they're going to find oil. 30% in the oil industry is just like incredible. No one has a 30% chance. And if they find it, then they're going to, they'll 5X on the day of the announcement. They're like, I, I have to own this stock, right? That stock was trading at 30 cents. I bought it at 30 cents. A um, couple of weeks later, they were into a halt for the juries, for the, the drilling results. They found absolutely zilch, nothing. The stock opened at 0.006. So 98 to 99% loss overnight, right? It had the potential to do 5X. You can't forget about that. But I never thought of the risk. And as I said, as you make that mistake, like, oh crap, if I just knew the loss would have been 99%, it doesn't make sense to risk 99 to make 500. So I wouldn't have bought it. So you just keep, keep adding to your strategy. And so yeah, you're actually taking that holistic look at all your stocks when you're buying them. So you know first how much can I lose? That's the most important thing. Then how much can I make? But but a final question for you, you know, um, because I don't know the next time we'll talk. I, who knows? We might talk in like another three months or a couple Maybe. months or, or a year. But um, you know, your take, you know, we're like I said, we're about the end of August here. You know, summer's coming to an end here in, in the northern hemisphere. It's about to be yeah. summer in the southern hemisphere. You know, what what do you think? Not crystal ball stuff, but how are you positioning yourself for the rest of 2022 now going into 2023? To be honest, I'm, I'm always positioned in a way where I'm not going to react to what the market does. So the market could do whatever it likes. I hope it goes up. Um, just based on the macro setting at the moment, I think there's probably a higher likelihood of things uh, of the markets coming down rather than going up. This is my personal view. I don't act on that view. So I don't then, you know, go to all cash or anything like that. I just hold stocks that I'm happy to hold through a correction. Because they've got two years of cash, they can last for a couple of years without having any issues, without further diluting shareholders. And so I, I really don't know what's going to happen, nor do I um, really try and estimate what's going to happen. I'm happy to just hold these stocks. And if they become overvalued, sell them. If they become undervalued, maybe buy some more or just, just hold through the volatility. And over time, as long as they're delivering, the share price will eventually reflect that. That's a great place to end it. Fadi. Fadi Diab at the so Gladiator much, HC. Where can, <laughs> where can people go and find more information? Follow you, obviously, at the Gladiator HC on, on Twitter. Uh, but where, what is your website for people to subscribe to your newsletter? Yes, yeah, so I've got my, my Twitter and I've got my website, which is thespecinvestor.com.au. In there, I um, interview other um, individual kind of share, retail shareholders, people who've got had a lot of experience and you know have something to share that people might be able to learn from. I'll put up a bit about my own strategy um, up on the site. And I've got my, I have a couple of micro cap investing courses that kind of uh, run through my end-to-end -end strategy. So how I find stocks, how I analyze them and how I kind of use my portfolio management to um, you know manage them all together. So they're, they're the two main places you can find me. Hey, and look, and one day we're going to get that round table of me, you, the great Martis and uh, Tolga. <laughs> That's going to happen. <laughs> If you can get if you can get the great Martis uh, on a podcast, <laughs> I, I think you'd get at least a million views in the first five minutes. So. I've been bu I've been bugging him for years now, man. I feel bad. <laughs> well, Fadi, always a pleasure, man. Thank thank awesome. you so much. Thank for you for your me. time, mate. Absolutely. Talk to you soon, Justin. Thanks.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker-dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.